Yo, this is Pete Town's finest, representing the NEP, D. Stoudemire, and y'all know what we're talking about. No one's ready to deal with us. This is the hardcore, crazy stuff, yo. Hard to the core, yo. Straight playoff stuff. From the east, from the west, to the south, to the north. Come on, psycho, let's go off and go off. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the Rip City Report. I'm Joe Freeman of the Oregonian. He's Casey Holdall of Trailblazers.com. Greetings and salutations, everybody. It's uh, it's Monday. I woke up this morning. I had no idea what day it was. Really? None. I woke up refreshed and ready to charge the day. Man, I, felt, I, got I felt good. I, I slept well. I went to bed. I, my wife and I watched Game of Thrones. We watched some of the other MTV or MTV HBO shows, <laughs> uh, and then went to. I I laid down in bed at like nine forty five last night, which is pretty pretty early for me. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be pretty early for most people my age because you guys are up late watching your daily shows and what night shows and so on and so forth. You know, when I used to watch The Daily Show, and we were talking about this the other day, uh, I'm not a fan of the new Daily Show, so That's true, I, I no longer watch it anymore. But I used to just, like, record it. I didn't actually watch it live. Although, some, I guess that was pre-baby, so maybe sometimes I would watch it live. But yeah, now I'm not watching it. Long story short, people stay up later to watch television than I do. That's that's what I'm trying to get I through. see, I see. Uh, well, here we are, Game 3. Yes. Uh, Blazers, or no, Game 4. They won Game 3. They won yeah. Game 3, I think is what I was going to say. I, I, you were going there, Joe. We have ourselves a series all of a sudden. After uh, two uh, tough games for Blazers fans, for most of you, I guess all of you Rip City reporters would be Blazer fans. Uh, Something to celebrate, something to get excited about. We kind of have ourselves a series now. You have to be encouraged a lot uh, by a lot of what you saw in Game 3. Most notably, I would say the Blazers' defense, the Blazers' uh, physicality, Resurgence from Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, Mason Plumley. Plumley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. it's long list of stuff there. Uh, before we get talking too much about that and a host of other stuff, uh, give Casey a follow at Seahold on Twitter. Give me a follow on Twitter at Blazer Freeman. And please check out our stuff. You can uh, read Casey's stuff at forwardcenter.net and mine at organlive.com slash blazers. And those of you who follow the podcast or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, give us a review. It, uh, some way or another, I guess, helps us out, and it also uh, helps us with just the show in general, because we like to know what you think. I even I saw that someone even left us a comment on Twitter saying that, uh, thanking us for figuring out whatever audio problems we used to have on this show, and oh, that good. they even went back and revised their old review saying that the audio problems were no longer an issue. So Excellent. the person that, that tweeted that to me, whose name I don't remember now, thank you very much for not only leaving a review, even your poor review earlier, uh, and then thank you for going Going in and changing it. It's very kind of you. Also, shout out to uh, the young lady that I met at New Seasons the other day. I didn't actually uh, get your name, but uh, a friend of the show. She listens to it. Happened to run into her um, buying some breakfast or something the other day. So, thanks for listening. Nice to uh, nice to meet you the other day. And the fellow at the oyster bar who uh, who gave us some free oysters. Oh, nice. Uh, thank you as well, and uh, thank you for. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, actually, but oh. he at least watches some television stuff. Oh, I'm sure he listens and to the podcast. Of course. Well, Everybody that's what I does. assume at this point. I assume <laughs> that anyone who has any idea who either one of us is is probably listening to the podcast. Or at least me. You're, you're, you're a little bit bigger than I am, Joe. I would not say that. I, I'm like almost six feet. Yeah, you're taller than I am. You're not, you're not heavier than I am, <laughs> no, that's for sure. All right, so game three in the books. And, uh, boy, there's so many uh, – places to start here we we do have a short shelf life on this one because game four is tonight at seven thirty. uh but we wanted to get this in and we couldn't do it yesterday so um 
I guess we should briefly focus on Game 3. Obviously, um, I guess the biggest development... Well, I, I don't know that there was one big development, but the biggest thing that I saw was finally somebody stepping up, other giving Dame and CJ some help. Now, they didn't need it early because both of those guys brought it extremely uh, strong early, particularly Dame, who from the opening jump was a different player with a different mindset and a different jumper, finally, but... What Mason brought to the team in so many areas in Game 3 was, uh, you, you can't, there's no way to describe how important that was. Obviously, 21 rebounds is ridiculous, 9 assists also ridiculous, but the ways that he impacted the game, taking pressure off of uh, Dame and CJ as ball handlers so often, uh, as he did in the regular season, and then doing so so often in Game 3, uh, and then that little adjustment, that, that moving Mo Harkless from the three-point line to the baseline, having him cut... He had three assists to him, two important ones in the third quarter. I remember back-to-back plays that sort of energized the crowd. One was a, a layup, and the other was a was an, or an alley-oop layup. The other was a cutting dunk. Uh, when Mason is doing that kind of stuff and you're getting that kind of contributions from what is a spot that you sort of feel is an edge to the Clippers, it, it's, it's hard to say how important that is for this team. And five offensive rebounds for Mo in that game as well. Late in that game as well, um, he did get some... Mason did get some assists to Mo, but also Mo had said after the game that he just told Mason just to shoot the ball, assuming that he would miss it, and then Mo would go up and get it. So, and having five offensive rebounds kind of speaks to that. Yeah. And the idea of of taking advantage of of that matchup when either Jamal Crawford or JJ Redick might be covering uh, Mo Harkless to make them work and to take advantage of the the size and strength and athleticism that, that Mo has in, in those matchups. And and to your point, Joe, the Blazers don't have a lot of matchups that they they work in their favor. So to be able to find one in Mo slash whoever might be guarding Mo um, has been beneficial. And I think that we saw that in Game Three. Um, and part of that, I kind of on that on that same plane the adjustment they made after game one even with having either Mo or Farouk guard Chris Paul so that way they can switch on on the pick and roll which I, I don't know that you necessarily chalk it up to them completely but Blake Griffin going five from 16 from the field for just 12 points in game three obviously a huge part of why the Blazers were able to win that game and you have to give some of that credit to to both Mace and Farouk and Mo Harkless. Amino, yeah. Or, yeah, you said Amino. I said Farouk, yeah. Uh, Yeah, one thing that really stuck out to me was Chris Paul settled for a lot of threes early in the game, Mm -hmm. uh, first half in particular, and Blake Griffin really took a ton of mid-range jumpers. He barely even tried to make his presence felt inside, and that's why they were so uh, dominant in game one, is he really set the tone inside, going right at Aminu. And I was really surprised that, that they had gotten away from that tactic. I don't know why. I do know that after the game, uh, multiple Clippers credited the Blazers for just simply being more physical and, and being, um, you know, asserting their will early in the game and, and, and throughout, really. And, and so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, another uh, knock on the Clippers, J.J. Redick had, had a brutal game. Two for ten from the field, five points. Uh, it was interesting. I just went to the Clippers shoot-around before we started recording, and uh, a lot of questions to him about his his injured heel, and uh, he essentially, I mean, he didn't talk, he didn't want to talk too much about it, but it's clearly bothering him. He doesn't do any work on off days. He said it is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. The only way to really kind of heal it, he said, is if I just got in bed for two weeks and just laid down and didn't do anything, which isn't happening anytime soon. So um, that is something to monitor, and and really. 
when you look at the larger issue of, of moving into Game 4 and moving forward in this series, uh, I, I, I don't think anyone dispute that the Clippers are still the favorites. Uh, you know, not only do they have home court advantage, they're the more experienced team. It was just one game. Uh, you know, they'll make their adjustments also. But also on the flip side of that and, and reasons to perhaps be encouraged as a Blazer fan is this is a very you know, fragile Clippers team by my by my estimation and a team that, um, you know, certainly looking back to their playoffs last season and the manner by which they collapsed, that's got to be somewhere in the back of your minds. And when you look at how tenuous J.J. Reddick's health is, and I thought that we had a Blake, healthy Blake Griffin after game one, maybe I'm not so sure after a couple more games. You throw those two pieces in that are so kind of flip a coin right now, um, Add that to the mental aspect and just the volatility of this team. And, you know, if the Blazers were to, to get another win, I, I really think that really kind of changes the the whole tenor and the whole mindset of the series. Yeah, I mean, Chris Pollard has even referenced the way the playoffs went last year in their post-game comments. So, I mean, it's not, it's not even back there all that far. I think it's probably right in their mind. And if the Blazers are able to get this game tonight at the Moda Center and even the series at 2-0, then I think you really start to put some pressure on them. Obviously, if you go up 3-1, you like your chances, even though the Clippers lost after being up 3-1 against the Rockets. But obviously, that was that was a, a second-round series, so you don't necessarily want to say that's going to happen necessarily in the first round. But to your point, Joe, the idea that you know that's something they're probably thinking about a bit is definitely not something that uh that's bad for the Trailblazers. Uh, and, and for me, too, I don't know if it's health or not, but it seems like with Blake Griffin, after the first half of Game 1, he just hasn't played the same way. You know, he hasn't looked to, to kind of be a force in the post. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been one of the knocks on Blake Griffin as he's developed more of a all-around game is that he's gotten away from the parts of his game that, that work really well, i.e. kind of bullying his way into the paint and using his athleticism to to get buckets near the rim, you know, that's that's been something that's kind of been a, a commonality for, or something that's been common for him over the past season and a half, I would say. So I don't know if it's necessarily about being injured as much as it's maybe that's kind of the way he likes to play right now, and it's not necessarily a good thing for the Clippers. So if they get back to that, you know, I, I think that's that becomes more of an issue for the Trailblazers. But really, that kind of speaks to my larger point, which is that the Clippers outside of Game 1 just haven't played all that well and they were able right. to get game two without playing very well because the trailblazers you know didn't play good either um but we saw in game three that the blazers have at least two of their guys i.e damien and cj play well and the clippers don't they got a chance in that and obviously you throw in mason as well and that kind of puts the trailblazers over the top i think um but I don't know that we've seen the best of the Clippers yet outside of that first game performance. Um, so at this point, you wonder, do they have that in them? Uh, and if I, you're the Trailblazers and you're a Trailblazer fan, I, I think you're hoping that they probably don't. Yeah. But I don't know if I'd go that far just yet. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what adjustments they make in this game because you assume that they probably didn't make a whole lot in the after the first two games because they won them. Oh, why would they? Um, exactly. But now that they have lost a game, I think that's when you start to tinker a bit. And, uh, you know, we'll get to see tonight if they come out and do anything different. Great game three atmosphere. Fantastic. That that was – it was nice to, to be at a playoff game and have it really feel like a playoff game. Yeah. Um, after two games in Los Angeles. Not at Staples. Not. So, yeah. And the Blazers fans really – I mean, they always bring it. But I, I really thought it was a – it was a good quality atmosphere. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like it was negative all that often. Obviously, you know, there are times when the fans get, get pissed off, and that's great. But, um, you know, it's not like 
like in Houston. When things don't go right in Houston, it's like it's just a <laughs> cavalcade of whining and moaning and complaining and blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, every fan base trends that way from time to time. Um, but I, I, I thought that last – or the two nights ago, I guess now, it, it was just a really fun – good time atmosphere in in the motor center people it seemed like people were there to to want to cheer the blazers on but to but to enjoy the moment the moment and the playoffs and the fact that the team was there in the first place um and it, it just seemed to to me i got a sense from it that it was is a little more than just like man we really need to win this game it was more like let's let's enjoy basketball in this team and i, and I, I really thought it was fantastic way to go guys LA, there might LA, be a few tickets left by the way too so if you want to come to tonight's game and think that maybe you can't I think there might be some tickets floating around there, so uh, check com if you haven't. Uh, LA-based media happy to be in Portland, too. Yeah. Except for one, uh, our good friend Dan Wokey elicited <laughs> some venom on Twitter. He, I don't know what he tweeted exactly. I was talking to him after the game, uh, after game three, and he was like, man, Portlanders do not have a sense of humor. He, he evidently tweeted something about having local IPAs and something, 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 and he got a lot of venom back and... Uh, well, it, what it was, because I retweeted oh, you it, saw, and, I, oh, okay. and, I, I, and I added my own commentary to it. Before the game, you know, the fans were actually into it, unlike they are at Staples Center. So if you cover the Clippers, you might not be used to seeing be seeing people who are there to actually cheer for the team, not just to kind of be there. <laughs> so pregame, he's like, man, these fans are charged up like they're getting free IPAs and free voodoo donuts or something like that. That's some kind of stereotypical Portland things. No one would ever say that who lived in Portland. Exactly. Uh and so I replied, I was like, yeah, it's almost like they're actually really fans of a basketball team. Uh, <laughs> and so I think he probably, some of my followers probably went on a bit for that. It's not that we don't have a sense of humor, Dan. It's just that you are mining a, a realm of jokes and stereotypes that is that we've been getting since Portlandia came out. So it's like, I, and I guess, obviously, Dan works in L.A., so he's playing to an L.A. audience, which makes sense. So, like, for people in L.A., that's probably like, yeah, that's that's a good joke, you know? But it'd be like <laughs> people in Portland making jokes about smog and plastic surgery and traffic, you know? It's like, yeah, for people outside of Los Angeles might think that's funny, but people in L.A. been hearing those same tired-ass jokes for the last 20 years. So, yeah, it's not very funny to them. Yeah, so I, I tried to, like, after... He had said that. I was like, yeah, well, it's probably a little Portlandia fatigue. I mean, we've sort of been through this before. And then I, and then he was like, but I'm literally in the media room, and there literally is charcuterie, and they're serving IT, IPA out of a tap. That's true. So he's like, this is what I'm living. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But it's like, I think my what I said was, it's like me going at L.A. guys and saying you're all a bunch of a-holes and you have bad traffic. It's like you're all tan and you right, all, yeah, you know... Get it's like, $300 haircuts and, yeah, I don't know, whatever other kind of crappy yeah. L.A. stereotypes Not to are. mention that everybody in L.A. wants to live in Portland anyway. Yeah. So, and, and, I mean, and to his point, I think Portlanders do tend to be a bit... Sensitive? Yeah, or, or at least, I mean, and I don't know that's necessarily different from any city that kind yeah. of has a, Thing. a well-worn narrative about mm-hmm. the people that live there. Um, but, I mean, I think they, I, I, I think it's fair to say that the Portlanders tend to get a bit sensitive when people kind of crack on where they're from but even that it's not so much cracking on where they're from it's more just like again oh and there was some kind of beard mentioned too actually i think is what oh. it was too like so so again like if you're making a joke about bikes or beards or Stumptown coffee or what are some of the other portland things IPAs, i guess charcuterie Char- ipas like yeah you know those are 
Those are probably going to elicit a bleh, come on. Man. I guess that, in hindsight, should have been the first warning about uh, Aaron Aflalo. His little, I'm going to win a champion. I'm here to win a championship message, and I'm going to bring my bike. Yeah. First of all, that that dude didn't even have a bike. No, he did not have a bike. So that was all BS. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Something on the Players' Tribune is BS. I Hard to believe. Well, people were, there's, I guess that North Dakota quarterback wrote some Players' Tribune thing today that everyone is all... Up in arms, box. It's one of those. I'm a good old boy, and I'm don't go in for flash and dabbing and so on and so forth. And I like North Dakota because it's cold and tough. That's, so on and so that's, forth. I, that dude, wherever he goes, who has the number one pick now? Somebody traded for the number I one. Don't pick. even. Know. Oh, it's L.A. It's the Rams. If he gets drafted by the Rams. He's not going to go to North Dakota in the, well, in the and off season. And that's what I think some people are like, too. They're the like, beach. yeah, it's easy enough to say now, dude. There's no NFL team in North Dakota that you have to worry about getting drafted. Right. So. Is he from the Dakotas, or did he just go to school there? You don't, don't know. know. Why I am I asking you? I know. You don't know. All I know is the idea of Jared Goff being the second-best quarterback in the NFL still draft Siamese, is yeah. bonkers to me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still – I'm calling into – Radio shows that I've never even heard of to talk about how much I think it's crazy that Jared Goff is going to get drafted in the first round. Well, I'll tell you this much. I will not do any type of draft day bet with you this year. I okay. will save you from having to pay me $20. Which, by the way, uh, a, a small underreported story. Kevin Love last night during their postgame press conference oh, yeah, some Portland. was wearing the Portland, Portland gear hat. I saw that. Congrats so, to the Portland I mean, gear guys. There you go. Yeah. Start your, uh, start your rumors now. <laughs> oh, that's where you're going with it. I thought you I were just, just like, well, that, that's, the the bigger, that's the bigger story, okay. Joe. I mean, uh, the Portland gear guys, Marcus, I love you. But, I mean, like, the, the bigger story is, oh, shit. I mean, you know, the, the, there there's a lot smaller things than that that people will, will create whole narrative rumors about. So, Do you know how many questions we're going to get next episode about, about Kevin, the Kevin love? love trade rumors now? And hey, it's man. all your fault. So I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to answer all of those I will answer all of your Kevin Love trade rumors in the next Rip City report. Okay. Speaking of which, we should get to questions now because um, we got a tight window. Yeah, today. We, we we, wanna... it's it's a it's a close one here. Okay. Well, uh, a lot of adjustment questions. Uh, some Alan Crab, rightfully so, questions. Um, We'll just get right to it. Uh, and again, your questions we ask them via Twitter before every episode. It's kind of a uh, you know, not a last-second query, but a morning-of query so that the questions are fresh. You just got a couple hours. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, follow us on Twitter, at Seaholt and at Blazer Freeman, for all your uh, Rip City Report question needs. First up from Bobby, should the Blazers look to play Brian Roberts? One more ball handler let CJ and Lillard play off the ball and provide scoring. I've heard a little bit of this uh, from, from a few people. Uh, I wonder... Who like who's Brian going to guard on defense? Like if you have CJ and Dame and Brian in the same lineup, how do you how do you then go on defense? Well, and, and for me too, it's it's who do you take away minutes from right. to play Brian Roberts? Yes, yeah, two. I mean, two. I guess some people might say Alan Crabb because he hasn't played particularly well, but it's a different position. Um, I guess you might say Gerald too, but I still think that you're getting something good from Gerald and defensively. I, I don't think that Brian can do what Gerald can. Um, I mean, I guess you know. It's an idea. I, I it's it's one of those. It seems to be like an an idea in search of a problem. I mean the the whole you know getting those guys off the ball. I think the best way to do that, and we saw it in Game Three, was with Mason. Yeah, right. Like I mean, like Mason, it just just putting in another guard into the lineup to try to get either Damian or CJ off the ball. I mean, that only works if the Clippers are so stupid as to not realize that. There's someone on offense in Brian Roberts they probably don't have to cover all that much. Mm-hmm. So really, they're still going to do the same thing. It's just 
Brian's going to be in there instead of someone else. So Also, you know, if Blazers lose game three, then you're like, all right, let's just try whatever. But they're coming off a win in which yeah. they, they the strategies they used were clearly effective. So uh, I don't know that now you throw a new wrinkle into things. And this is when you tighten up your rotation, too. Right. And, and Terry talked about that. At, at we saw that in game today. three. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, you tend to play your best players more minutes because you don't have to worry so much about rest and so on and so forth. So, I mean, outside of foul trouble, I, I wouldn't imagine you'll probably see a whole lot of Brian Roberts, but, you know, it's always a possibility, I guess. Okay, next up from Jeff Ellsworth. Did the Blazers figure it out in Game 3, or was that win just the result of huge individual efforts? Uh, and he singles out Dame, CJ, and Mason in particular. Uh, well, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you need Dame and CJ to have good games to win a game in the series. No I question. Mean, I, that's... I don't know that that we didn't know that before game three, but if you didn't, you, you know it now. I mean, that even, you know, the Clippers didn't play particularly well in that game. And, and again, I think you have to give the Blazers credit for that. Um, but Portland, you know, they shot 625 from three, you know, 42% from the field. That's okay. Not great. 16 turnovers. It's quite a bit. Um, 20 points off those turnovers as well. So it wasn't like the Blazers played a perfect game by any stretch. But, but yeah, I... I to to the point, the adjustments they made in game two that worked, that they just didn't get the shots, that's what we got in game three. You just got the same game, but they actually hit those shots. They hit some more shots. Exactly. They hit more shots. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think you def- saw the adjustments yeah. work, and but part of those adjustments are making it they possible for Dame and CJ to have yeah. big games. I... Where the Blazers, what they figured out a little bit in Game 3 was their defense just played better, I thought. Now, J.J. Redick missed a lot of open shots. And actually, the mid-range shots Blake Griffin missed, those were all open, they too. They were open, yeah. So you flip of what Game 2 was where the Blazers felt they missed shots. I bet if you asked the Clippers, they'd probably the same, say the same thing. So, uh, But I did like, again, the phys- the way the, the physical nature of the way the Blazers played and their defense uh, I-, I thought was great. And, you know, Maurice uh, Harkless... It's not like he's stopping Chris Paul, but since Terry switched him to defend him, it sort of balanced things out a lot, and his length and athleticism is at least sort of giving Chris Paul a little bit of resistance. You know, he feels his presence. Plus, the way that the Clippers play, they do so much screening, and and particularly with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin— Aminu and Mo feel like they can switch on that screen when when Chris Paul goes into Blake Griffin, and they feel like that doesn't doesn't hinder their defense that much. And so uh, there's not a lot of guys that are guarding point guards and power forwards that you feel like you can switch and not lose anything. And so tactically, defensively, that's been a really nice adjustment. It's allowed the Blazers to use those two guys' defensive versatility to their strength. So um, that was good. And then again, as Casey said, you're going to need individual efforts from Dame and CJ to. Uh, to win this series so yeah all right next all right next one from scully let's say i walk into a bar and find the team at happy hour what is each player drinking Hmm. Hmm. i assume that scully means like an alcoholic beverage yeah i think that's the the bar portion well Well, we can already say chris cayman's drinking in oduls and there are quite a few guys i think actually that that don't drink all that much Uh, i don't think alfaruk drinks no um cayman Cayman definitely doesn't drink. That's why I gave him an O'Doul's. Right, yeah. I bet he wouldn't even drink an O'Doul's, though. That's like worshipping a false prophet or something. Yeah. I don't know what he would drink, like a kombucha or something? I think he does drink kombucha. Yeah. There's a lot of kombucha on the team plane, which 
Well, it's at the peak. Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, it's yeah. back there. They're the all PM. drinking it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good uh, for them. It's healthy. Yeah. Let's run this off here real quick. Um, let's start off with Mason Plumley. He's drinking like a vodka crayon. Yeah. Absolutely. Vodka Mason crayon. drinks. Um, Dame. I, I'm going to say he goes hard like me. He's just drinking a glass of whiskey on ice. Damien? Yeah. I, I, I was, that was going part two. None of these guys are drinking whiskey on ice. Well, I'm going Perry. baller status with him, though, no. regardless of what is so real th- or you not. You think that's baller status? I don't necessarily think that's Okay, you tell status. me what's baller status. Um. You gonna have a hurricane, Cristal? You gonna drink a, out of a, a le- diamond chalice, a lemon drop out of no. a diamond chalice? <laughs> Let's put it this way: I, I'm guessing that players have tastes in alcoholic beverages that do trend more to twenty-one-year-old girls, sweet and flavored drinks than the snifter of thirty-year-old scotch. You know, <laughs> with a rock glass in it, or one of those rocks that's not actually water. I don't see a lot of beer drinkers on this team. No, I don't, maybe I, Ed Davis, and, and that's maybe Most Ed guys, Davis. Yeah, I think Ed Davis probably drinks some beers. Uh, I, I, I maybe even the same with actually Gerald, Gerald? might not drink either. Really? Hmm. I actually there's there can't be a ton of, of huge drinkers on this team. Because well, the thing about down. beer too is that you have to kind of develop a taste for right. beer. I've found it's a young team, and yeah, they are young. And I bet Pat. I bet Pat's had a beer or two. I bet Pat, Pat drinks some beer. I guarantee the Lu- Luis has. What's that uh, Boston beer? Pat's a big Sam Adams guy. He's oh drinking God, a Sam I Adams if you roll into happy hour. I hope he's drinking something better than that. Or, what or could worse Lu- than that, by the way. What Dude, could Luis Montero problem. possibly be drinking? Uh, I don't know what the Dominican flavor of choice is. Well, probably some, some light beers, uh, some rum. Yeah, maybe a little rum. Um, I don't want to delve into too deep of stereotypes here. That's but true. That's I bet I bet Luis drinks a bit as well. Harkless? Um, I don't know. I don't think Mo parties a whole lot. Me neither. All right, we probably already spent too much time on this. We did. Good question. The, long story short, I actually don't really know. Um, I was sort of like one of these days. I was taking the question not necessarily from a literal standpoint. Okay, as like, so you're, as you're I would more like, of like a representative like, yeah. of their personality. Except for Mason, I can definitely see him drinking vodka crayons. That was a, yeah. No, that, I think you're right about ways. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next up, Lillard for Mayor wants to know, uh, let's see. Hey, fellas, thanks for grinding on the pod. You're welcome. Since you are between Portland and L.A., what's better, five guys or in and out Ooh. I think in and outs uh, Richmond and I were talking about this the other day. in and outs a little overrated, I personally. I mean, I've, I've had it multiple times, and I don't eat a ton of burgers anymore in my life, but I... Uh, I I, I'll say this. I think I think In-N-Out is overrated, but I still think it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, it's not what bad. I like about In-N-Out, the same thing I like about Killer Burger. When I eat an In-N-Out, I don't necessarily feel like I ate a Disgusting, greasy hamburger yeah. for the next four hours afterwards. My face doesn't feel like it. And that's real. I, I gauge hamburger quality more feels? by how my face feels. Like, <laughs> if I, like, put my hand on my forehead, which is ample, and, I like, it feels greasy, then, like... I don't feel like I had a very good hamburger experience. Or not even a good hamburger experience, actually, because I like all hamburgers. But just not a, a, a top-shelf hamburger experience. Uh, I had it in out when we were in L.A. I ate it in the hotel. And I didn't feel awful afterwards. Like, I didn't feel like – didn't get that gross, kind of weird feeling. Five Guys, I do feel like I do kind of get that a little bit. And the thing of Five Guys, too, like, I don't like ordering at Five Guys. It's too much of a – like, this idea that, like, I have to tell you every single thing that I want on there – I, I just want it to be a burger and then have me tell you what I'm taking off of it. 
So I'm going to go with In-N-Out. Even though I don't like the sauces, I don't get things animal style because I don't like condiments, but I, I do think it's a pretty good burger. I do get it animal style because I want them to cook the crap out of it in that mustard. I want it to just swarm in that mustard. So I'm They all cook it the, in mustard? They do something with mustard, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is, but... Um, I, I've only maybe been to Five Guys once or twice, so I can't speak on that with authority, so I'll say in and out. But over both of these, I would choose Killer Burger. I mean, there's no question. Absolutely. I, I, I go to the five, there's a five Guys across from where we stay at in Charlotte, so I've been to there a couple times. And, it, again, it's okay, but it, I, I would put in and out. A little insight into Casey and I's relationship. Uh, every summer at Las Vegas Summer League, we go on a, out on a date to Burger Bar. Yeah, we do. That's a that's an annual ritual. Yeah. yeah. It's not even a solo day too. It's it's, it's morphed into a group and, yeah, outing. It's, yeah. it's become a thing. Yeah. But especially when we used to when I used to stay with the team at Mandalay Bay, it was super easy. Now now it takes a little more work, but we still keep it alive. Yeah. You got to roll with tradition. Yeah. Uh, next up from Reed Andrews, we got another food question. Is the media room food better during the playoffs and national TV games? No. It's no, the same. That's the same. Same. Exactly. Uh, by the way, too, stop serving those Brussels sprouts, guys. You, there was you, Brussels sprouts? Yes, they've been serving Brussels sprouts for the last couple months, and you cannot make Brussels sprouts in large quantities the way the Brussels sprouts need to be made. They only basically steam them, and they're gross. gross. No one wants like that slimy, steamed Brussels sprout. They want the nice, crispy, braised Brussels sprout, and you can't do it in large quantities, so just stop. Take that, Moda Center yeah. food. If you're listening in the media room right now, Colin Romer, forward that along to the people at Levy. We would have known a long time ago if he was listening. True enough. Next up from Sergio, did y'all hear any quote-unquote no good Clipper chants at Saturday's game? Oh, I assume he he means like just uh, taunting the Clippers. Sure, yeah. Only thing well, I and from from the there it's from a commer- it's from the uh, State Farm commercial. Oh, Damien says no good Clipper. I see. I you know I really haven't seen. I know that there's a thing with those, but I don't watch a lot of. If I watch TV, I do it like... I've only watched them on YouTube because I post about them. Oh, I see. I, I If I watch stuff on TV, I like record it, and so I fast-forward the, the commercials or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't see a lot of these commercials. I was with my, my good friend Dave Cancer the other day, and he was saying, oh, this is actually a good commercial, and him and his family enjoyed it. And I guess there's a new State Farm commercial or something. I don't know. So I guess they're good, but... Uh, sorry, I don't know. Did you, did we hear any of that? I did not. No, hear any I can of that. never. I can never. I heard various chants. It's always kind of hard to parse out what the chant is, unless like everyone is doing it and it goes on for an, a long, sustained period of time. Um, Pretty much, so the only no, one I, I heard didn't was hear beat it. LA. Yeah, I heard beat LA. I feel like there was one during when someone was shooting free throws, but I don't know MVP exactly for Dame. Maybe, yeah. Uh, either way, no, I didn't hear it, but I wouldn't be surprised if people were trying it and. Uh, Keep fighting the good fight, folks. Okay, next up from Billy Lynn. Should we start calling the trio of Dame, Mason, and CJ the Run DMC trio? No. They would sure have great rapping skills. Uh, Run DMC has already been taken. It, that was, it was uh, Golden State with uh, Tim Hardaway and But it is Chris Dame, Weber. Mason, and CJ. Well, like I, I understand work. that, but it's already been, it's already been done. Yeah. So. Yeah, or I think it was Run TMC. It maybe was. Then. Yeah. And it was also like three decades ago. Yeah. So you can recarnate that if you really no, want. No, I, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think you can. I mean, I, I like the t-shirt idea, obviously, but uh, no. Sorry, Billy. You've been overruled. Next up from Gozers, true or false, Dame and CJ have to put up 30 every night for the Blazers to advance. Crab, Henderson, Chief are disappointing. Henderson had a pretty good game one. Chief has been really good defensively the last two games. 
Alan Crabb has just been an absolute mess. I guess we sort of answered this question. We do think that Dame and CJ have to have, maybe not put up 30 every night, but darn near it for the Blazers to have a chance. Yeah, I, they, I they yes. both got a score mid-20s or higher, I think, for the Blazers to win. This is where we need to have special effects, and we say, true, ding, 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 Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Okay, next up from Drew. Why aren't there more sets designed for Mason Plumley running the offense? Did passes just appear more naturally last game? Uh... The Blazers' offense is is all about ball movement, and and obviously with two ball dominant guards in Damon CJ, there's not a ton of 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 creating and playmaking to go around. Uh, but it is a, a share the wealth offense, and so there are plenty of of ways that Mason can get involved in the offense. And the dude had nine assists last game, so he obviously he had a lot of chances to create and playmake. So um, I, I, I guess I sort of dispute that there aren't enough sets. Uh, designed for him. It, he is a center, so he, he can't just like be out on the perimeter all the time, so he's got to get a lot of his stuff in transition, and then uh, obviously where they're capitalizing it is is when the Clippers are running their traps and, and double teams, he's freeing up to, to then get the ball in the middle of the offense. So a um, little bit of scheme and a little bit of, of through the natural flow of the offense. Yeah, I, I would also the, your point that I feel like they'd already do run quite a few of those sets. I, I feel the same way. Okay. Agreed. Next up from um, friend of the show, Mila. Mila. Darn it. I'm sorry, Mila. I messed up your name the first time, and then you, you tweeted at us the correct pronunciation of your name, and both of us just forgot to save it. So you should tweet us the, next, uh, the correct pronunciation, and we'll remember it this time. Uh, what is going on with Alan Crabb? How will this affect him in free agency? Also, why is our bench now kind of trash? I don't know what's going on with AC, man. He's just yeah. disappeared. Bottom line. He knows he's been bad. He talked about it shoot around today. He said that, you know, he's not going to do anything necessarily different, but he would like to play better. And I basically said, he's like, I need to hit some shots. He's like, bottom line. And I feel like I'm doing okay defensively, but uh, I just cannot get the ball go down to save my life. Um, he talked about it fairly openly. Um, you know, I, I, I think you got to kind of hope it turns around a bit. I don't think they're really – doing anything different with Allen. I, I just think that, you know, in general, I think we're seeing in this series that hitting open shots is not necessarily as easy, I guess, we assume it is. Um, because, I mean, guys like Al Farouk, guys like Mo, guys like AC are getting left open, uh, particularly from the perimeter, and they're not really hitting those shots. So um, it, I think it speaks to, to the idea that sometimes it's better to have a hand in your face uh, when when you're out there because sometimes when you're just that wide open, I think maybe you start thinking about it. You start thinking about how you're supposed to make this shot necessarily that you hope you make this shot. I don't know if that has a difference to it or not, but uh, long story short, I mean, the fact is he's not hitting shots and he hasn't been particularly helpful for the Blazers in this series, which you know has been detrimental because you know when Allen can pitch in you know 10 to 15 points and and play good defense I mean it, it gives the Blazers a different look uh and and just in general the idea of when guys outside of Damon CJ hit outside shots you know it gives the Blazers a chance to to kind of open up their offense and we just haven't seen that in this series of the six three-pointers that the Blazers made in game three Damian and CJ made five of them there so you go. I mean that's 
That's not good. One thing too is is Allen is matched up almost exclusively with with Jamal Crawford, or he has been a lot of the series. And while Jamal is certainly not a good defender, Jamal can run around screens and stand in the corner and and run around flares and all that kind of stuff, which is pretty much what Allen's been doing all all series. So he he hasn't gotten open, and then when he has, he hasn't hit shots, and he really hasn't shot a lot of shots. I don't I don't know how many he has off the top of my head, but it's not very many. Um, so he's kind of in that. You got it right there. Yeah. Well, he shot four in game three. Three um, was he one for five. oh for four or he one was oh for four? four. Gerald yeah. was one for seven. Yeah. So, so it's the bench is a mess. Alan Crabbs a mess. And as far as you know, how will this affect him in free agency? It's certainly not helping him. It's not helping. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, really when you look at the last two months of the season and then you look at the playoffs. I think it, Allen has lost some money because of that. I mean, when I at his peak, when I talked to someone about Allen, they they figured or, or reasoned that he would get between nine and eleven million a year. So I kind of penciled in him for three and thirty or four and forty, and you have to wonder how how much that still stands. The the thing, uh, one thing I'll say, I, I agree in general, Joe. I don't, I don't think AC's doing himself any favors, uh, but I feel like particularly when it comes to free agency and how you play in the playoffs, typically you can improve. You can get more money by playing well in the playoffs for sure. I don't think you lose as like, it's not the same level. You don't lose the same level that you gain if you play poorly as compared to playing well. You I know, agree like with you, that. you can, you yeah. can definitely like get your number up, but I feel like if a team likes you, they'll typically kind of figure out ways to be like, well, yeah, you know, he didn't play well in that playoff series, but, you know, look what he did here, and, you know, this it'll is be a what we'll do Exactly. With them, like, yeah. you know, everyone thinks they can, whatever issues you had somewhere else, they can fix. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's not good for Allen's free agency, but it's, I, not, backbreaking. I, it, it's not backbreaking. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, it just takes one team. One team to like you, one team to see you over two weeks and see what you do. If a good week, two, and they they're in. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Next up from Mark Bear, how miserable would you be if the Clippers still played in Buffalo? Ugh. Oof. Boy, that'd be bad. That would yeah. be bad. I mean, you assume they wouldn't be in the Western Conference. Yeah, so but... maybe it wouldn't be that bad. And you know, I mean, it's it's New York, sort of <laughs> <laughs> upstate, the, New the York. state. Yeah, uh, Canada's right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't mind going to Buffalo. I, I've I've heard okay things. You about wouldn't Buffalo. mind visiting Buffalo, but not for work. No, and, and not, not flying at this time. back yeah, and forth yeah, yeah. across the country. Yeah. No, well, and especially now that it goes every other day, basically, um, that would just be brutal. Yeah. So uh, we'd be pretty miserable. Yeah. Uh, we should probably wrap it up here. Last question from Big Ol' Mandrew. Sorry we didn't get to all your questions, but we do have to kind of keep it tight so we can get it out. And also, uh, I think I got a flood of questions after I sent out a, a second query. So sorry if we missed some of those. But last up from Big Ol' Mandrew. Favorite facial hair in the NBA? Um... I don't know. Steven, Steven Adams, Adams is the guy that comes to my mind. I mean, that's the thing. There's like Myers Leonard during yeah when he has his little mustache thing. Cayman's beard I thought was pretty good. Yeah, old school, yeah. Um, I don't I'm know. not saying James Harden. No, I don't like James Harden's beard. Gross. I guess I'll go with Steven Adams. Yeah, I'd have to think about it a bit. I mean, Steven Adams is it's it's kind of cool, or and his Cantner too. I mean, like oh yeah, yeah, with his his thing he's got going. Yeah, 
this thing, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. By the way, too, I, we had a, a PDX Pro Shot asked us twice about No Show Socks, so I guess real quick, what are your oh, thoughts okay. on No Show Socks? I like No Show Socks. Are those the ones that like you wear with, with sneakers and they're down below the ankle? Exactly. Oh, I rock those all summer. Yeah, I Because do I don't like, uh, I can't go barefoot. I, my feet will sweat and then my shoes will stink. You ruin shoes yeah, by doing so that. I I, I've I tried to. Like I mean, you can do that if you're willing to decide that that's, you're not going to wear those shoes again because, like, that smell, Done. you cannot get out. I of, guess if you buy sneakers. insoles repeatedly, you could replace the insoles. Yeah, you can like replace it. But still, I, not, it, yeah, it, yeah. it gets that. It's a very distinct funk that, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, it's really hard to get rid of. So I don't I don't roll that way. So I do roll with – and I can't roll with, like, the, the Koi Visto, like, like, like calf sock. Yeah, with no, the, I, I can't I, either. I, just, I mean, I don't think I, – I think it looks fine on other people. Yeah, I, I just can't. It doesn't yeah. work for me. And, and I, I was – I used to pretty much only wear sandals with uh, with shorts anyways. I've since kind of moved on from that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different uh, – one thing I will say about no-show socks, no-show socks that you have to get the right one. Oh, there's a caliber. Yeah, there's a exactly. difference in caliber. Yeah, it, like if you just go to the store and buy like the cheapest no-show nah, socks, bad one, idea. they will show. They'll come up like higher – they'll like reach the bone on your ankle. Worse And then you yet. see them anyways. Um, Worse yet, they fall. I mean, The, they, the fall-down ones too yeah, are – but there's two types. There's like the one that have the elastic that they they look like a regular sock, but they're they're just lower. So Nike wear makes those that, that I think are, are really solid. They really fit snug too. They have like that bottom elastic like mm-hmm. band on them. Mm-hmm. They work really well. Converse also has a style too that are meant to be worn with with uh with all stars, which are particularly low. Mm. Um, that basically they and and these are more like the no-show socks that women have been wearing for years that basically they just go over your heel. It's like a little booty. Exactly. And those are the ones, too, where if you get the good ones, they're very nice um, because they they are the most no-show of all those socks, but they do have a tendency more to to move around. So if you don't get a good pair, what will end up happening is they'll end up rolling down your foot and then... What's it's, the point? it's worse than not wearing socks at all. Boy, it's a good thing for the diehard like X's and O's lovers of the podcast, like the real, the inside baseball that the Blazers won game three because there was some some cries for just an all-banter podcast if there was a game three loss and they went down 0-3. And this is the type of com- conversation we would have had for you know a solid 45 minutes, which I think... Most people would enjoy, but again, for the diehards, they would have really that would have elicited some negative reviews via the iTunes. So I agree. It's a uh, it's a good thing the Blazers got to win for the sake of the podcast and for the sake of the diehards. And maybe they'll get one uh, one tonight. To be determined. Seven thirty tonight at the Moda Center. Uh, again, uh, if you do not follow KCRI on Twitter, please do. He's at Seahold. I'm at Blazer Freeman. You can read his stuff at forwardcenter.net. You can read my stuff at organlive.com slash blazers. And you're subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. That's excellent. Give us a review. That'd be fantastic. And we will definitely talk to you again after game four. Bonzi Wells, what a handle, it's amazing what he do for the sport. Damon Stoudemire saves the day, a.k.a. Mighty Mouse, gonna show all of you scrubs how to play. What a show, why the Lakers even want it with us, you know. No one's ready to deal with us.